0: This week on Living the Call, Deacon Charlie talks with Samantha Kelly, the founder and president of Fierce Athletic Incorporated, an organization devoted to promoting true femininity in sport.
1: Samantha played division one soccer and is currently involved in competitive rowing.
0: She graduated with a master's in Catholic psychology and is pursuing certification in strength and conditioning and theology of the body. Deacon and Samantha discussed the importance of identity and ways to be leaven for the world in every sphere of our lives. They dive into issues athletes face today, such as same-sex attraction, spiritual warfare, and pressure to perform. It was through the teachings of Theology of the Body in the Catholic Church that Samantha discovered what it means to be both feminine and athletic. These teachings have the power to heal, and through Fierce Athlete, she desires to share those truths with female athletes across the world. So I think being a feminine athlete is embracing who I am fully as a woman and, and looking to make a gift of myself on the field or, or wherever, but even going beyond that, receiving my teammates in an emotional way and in the spiritual way, helping them, being an advocate for them, breathing life into their lives. And I think that balance is there. Like I look at our lady, she's the most, this is a little scandalous to say, but she's the most BA woman that ever lived. Like she crushes the head of Satan and yet, she, and yet she's the most tender woman that ever lived. And that's what it means to be a feminine athlete. I can be intense and I can be competitive, but at the end of the day, I also have this tender, other-focused, part, of, maternal part of my heart that, that I, I need to embrace. This is Living the Call.
1: Samantha Kelly, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to it. Likewise. I know, you know, one of the things that struck me about our earlier conversation, and I've actually seen it thematically throughout a lot of the things that you're doing, is this idea that you're more than. So I thought it could be an interesting challenge to have a conversation with Samantha and never mention sports. Like, maybe just have that conversation. I don't know. It's kind of a gauntlet throw, but it's literally a thought I had this morning. What do you think of that? I mean, it's
0: doable. (laughs) It's a little
1: daunting <laughs> though, right? It's like, it is. Yeah, certainly for me as the host, but um, no, but I, I mean that, that theme, that insight of you're more than when you and I were talking earlier, you know, you're like, Hey, you get on these media things and you know, sports is amazing and you've had an incredible career, but then it's like, that's all people want to know. That's got to in some way feel kind of transactional.
0: Yeah. Oh, for sure. Because I'm just labeled by something that I do, right? When I'm so much more than that, you know, and I want to be known for those other things too.
1: Exactly. And is that how professional, I mean, on some level, that's how everybody feels who's reached some visibility in, in an area, in a field. I got to imagine, I don't know, but like you hear these stories and, you know, you see these documentaries and biopics and whatever. And at some point, the, the, the spotlight in whatever your chosen field is can become, you know, kind of overpowering. and But it's not, to me, it's not just the visibility, but really the nature of the relationships that certain things, when we're outstanding in them, might create. Is that
0: fair? Yeah, because... I mean, I think it causes you to question, well, well, why do these people want to be friends with me? Or, you know, do Mm. they only see me as this thing that I can do? Um, You know, I've been watching the U.S. Open recently and watching Serena Williams run, you know, and uh, it's so fun because she's so iconic. I know I'm talking about sport. I'm bringing it in. You did it. Um,
1: Here you go. It took 30 seconds. (laughs)
0: I know, right? But what I love, I was though, joking is, about that
1: earlier. We can definitely talk okay. about sports. I just, I wanted to bring up that <laughs> thematic, but go ahead.
0: Fair. Well, I think people listening, right, they can apply it to any area of their life, whatever they're talented at or good at or enjoy, right? Am I just a financial advisor? Am I just a mom? Am mm. I just... Um, but what I love about Serena, I mean, obviously, she's the most iconic, potentially... I mean, she probably is the best female tennis player of all time, one of the best... F- Athletes of all time is she. She also highlights other aspects of her life. Um, so she almost pushes the back, pushes back, you know, and is like so proud of being a mom, mm. so proud of being a wife, so proud of the the things that she's done off the court. Um, and tries to draw that attention. I mean, while she's such a tremendous tennis player, tries to draw that attention. I think away from s- some of that, so she's seen as more.
1: Well, we're all you know multifaceted integrated people, right? I mean, I think part of the challenge of the Christian life in a way is to live an integrated life made up of all of these different things. And that, you know, that's a challenge. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, I talk about code switching a lot in a context of like, you know, uh, communities, you know, if you're Hispanic or if you're black and you walk into certain spheres, you can kind of code switch. But I'm sure that happens in, or has happened for you as well right and like this sort of i'm in this kind of athlete moment or i'm being seen and i'm kind of presenting as this sort of athlete for this moment at this in this context and you kind of have to switch a little bit of 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 whatever that code is whatever that language is that that sense right um and then a minute later maybe you're in a different context and the kind of the the code switches one more time but i think that it's more pronounced in your case, or in people who have your stories' case, where it's like you've you really reached some level of visibility, and people have an expectation of a code. Right? It's like this is kind of what I expect. And I think we all do a little bit of code switching, but I think it gets harder when you're a Serena, or when you're you know somebody who's got a, had a very you know outstanding career in a particular field or something. But it's kind of a challenge to to, to the Christian that we have to live and be all these things all the time. I mean, that that, it happens for me. I don't know, you know, certainly in many cases.
0: Yeah. Again, it's, it's fighting the labels. Um, and, and and I think it's so important throughout all that, right? Like you're saying being a Christian, you have to be a Christian in all those spheres, right? It's not like you put on the Christian coat and then you put on the athlete coat and then you put on the mom coat or whatever, you know, it's like, the Christian is the underlying theme, and I think that allows you to stay grounded so that when people are labeling, labeling you or just seeing you as an athlete or seeing you as your performance and you know, whatever you do, you know that your identity is rooted in Christ. You know that your worth is not in what you do or what you look like or in what others think of you. Your worth is in the fact that you are a son or a daughter of God yeah who you, then that allows you the freedom mm. to to do what you're doing to the fullness of your potential but but you know then the pressure's off you can just be
1: yeah it's kind of like discovering in a way who you who you fully are right who you really are it's it, the, the more that you're able to you know kind of live that christian life in all of those different spheres you kind of more fully discover all of who you are but at, at the same time though Right. Because there's temptations on either side. Right. We've got we've got an enemy out there. We've got an opponent to use sports vernacular. Right. We've got an an opposing team and and, and they're definitely against us. And there's like two sides of it. One side is like, you know, be this definitely live this Christian life, be this integrated person in all spheres. And then the other side is we've all been given gifts and like particular gifts. And athletics or, you know, uh, some kind of art or music or whatever may be among those blessings that the Holy Spirit has given us. And like, so it's the balance between heightening and, you know, uh, uh, bringing to the world the benefit of those gifts, but doing it in a way that is not sort of, you know, creating an, an idol out of that particular, you know, gift or Uh, or attribute that we've been given.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's separating, you know, I'm not loved because of this, Mm. right? But God loves this about me. Like, that's how he created me. And, And I always tell, you know, the people I work with, and I think this, again, applies to any sphere, the fact that you're a daughter of God and you know that, your response shouldn't be, well, I'm a daughter of God, so I'm loved no matter what, so I don't really have to try hard or I don't have to use my gifts. Yeah. That's that's false, right? Because no, you've been given this. Well, first of all, we've been given our salvation, but but secondarily, like you've been given this incredible talent. You better be using that to the fullness of your potential, Amen. not cutting corners, right? Um, practicing, using it, using it for for God's greater glory. All these things. But I'm always telling my athletes, like people should watch you play and know that you're a Christian without you ever saying anything. That's awesome. because of how hard you're working, yeah. because of your attitude. Um. So I, again, when it's the underlying thing, I think it gives us the freedom to shine properly.
1: Yeah, I love that. I can't help but to think of St. Paul with what you just said, which is like, first of all, this idea of being co-laborers or co-workers with God, right? It's like, we don't, he didn't have to make it that way, but he did. It's like, you have to actually do your part of things. And then the other part is also St. Paul, when he's like, forget if it's the Galatians or the Ephesians, I always get these Greek cities confused. I don't know how you are, <laughs> if you're good with it, but but like when he, when he talks about how um, those who don't do their part, like shouldn't participate, like th- th- those who don't work should need, like he's very bold about this stuff, right? Like those who don't bring to the table those things that they have should not sort of participate or feel like it's just a, you know, check mark. Like there's a very real responsibility that we have to kind of live these gifts out. And I love the idea of like, if you're on the pitch and you're playing, like, I should know you're a Christian, right? They should know you by your joy. They should know you by the way that you are, the way that you hold yourself. I mean, that's, that's amazing. I I don't know how, like, I'm trying to think of like what I would look like doing something athletic and saying like, yeah, this person believes is a person of faith, but I get exactly what you're saying.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, I think too, it's like, Yeah. I mean, they should, they should look and they should see it. Um, But we also get this other end of the spectrum where, you know, an athlete discovers their faith and they'll, they'll shy away from certain environments. And I get that, right. We have to, you know, be careful of the situations we're putting ourselves in. But I've heard of a lot of athletes they are like, Oh, I quit my sport because I wanted to concentrate on my faith more, or I quit Mm. that team because it was too toxic. I get that. There's a certain level of when things are toxic, you need to protect your soul and you need to 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 get out. However, these are the spheres that we're called to evangelize. Yeah. In, right? And and you might be the only practicing Christian or Catholic on your team, but that doesn't mean you should run from it. That means you should I mean you should be rooted and have proper support elsewhere, but that then becomes your sphere of influence and your, your means to then evangelize. Do
1: people ask you that from time to time? Do they go like, how are you able to kind of live in the sports world, look at all the stuff that's going on? Do people like challenge you that way sometimes?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, you get, uh, unfortunately, a lot of, you know, Christians and Catholics kind of viewing sport as dead, mm. you know, or, well, you know, the, the term, you know, Sundays for football, like they're like, well, we should just, not play sport or we should kill sport or we should not participate. And I get it in some regards, but again, like we're not helping those people mm. if if we're just separating ourselves from the environments where others are and where they're at and meeting them there. So I do challenge them. You know, I, I had a guy recently just say to me, you know, he was a, you know, college athlete and he's like, I won't let my kids play sports because of how toxic I I saw the environment. And part of me, my heart broke and I was like mm. That's you reacting out of fear rather than equipping your kids to go into that environment w- with good support. And I, and I get it. You have to discern some circumstances, um, but helping them be lights in that and to avoid the pitfalls that you fell into. I think
1: there's a lot of that. I, I, I get that every time I mention to somebody in a Catholic circle or in a conference or whatever um, that I live in L.A. I get that mm-hmm. a lot. People are like, how do you do that? And I was, you know, or I could never live there or whatever because of either reality, and there is some weird stuff out here, obviously, but, or this perceived notion that somehow it's this sort of post-apocalyptic, you know, kind of um, place from a moral standpoint. Um, And, you know, my response is like on some level, very similar to what you said is like, we're kind of called to be the leaven, right? Somebody's got to, you know, try to do their their best to live that life here because, you know, how else are is somebody going to potentially hear about this message? And then I'm also very sensitive about, I don't know if you found this in, in in your work with athletes, but, you know, oftentimes we have this sense that it's a one-way street, right? With the gospel, like, hey, you know, using sports, right? That guy who doesn't want to let his kid play. And your thought is like, well, wait a minute, this could be the only Christian that the, that team gets to experience. And who knows what the what the effect could be. But I feel like sometimes we forget that God also uses, you know, sinners, and I'm using air quotes, sinners and other people to form us too. Like, even if we're sharing the gospel and they're receiving it, we're still being formed by that process, right? So, like, I always find that kind of sad when people say that. Like, it's, it's a little bit of a heartbreak. And I get not everybody should live in L.A. or New York or not everybody should be a professional athlete. Like, I get that. But, but there's some kind of sadness in that because we are called to be kind of out there, right? And putting ourselves out there um, and on some level, in some ways.
0: I I love that. I love that point. And it's so true, right? We're all made in God's image and likeness, and every person reflects God, you know? And so we have the capacity to learn from them. I th- I think on both ends of the, uh, of the spectrum, though, like, it'd be easy to say, oh, well, I'll I'll just learn what not to do. Yeah. I'll learn the ways not to act. But you, you, find with these people, they're they're in tune with what it means to be human mm. in a certain regard. Yeah. Like they know what desire is. Okay, it's disordered, but they know what it is to seek love, to seek attention, to seek you know all these things. And I think sometimes on the on the Catholic side, we can be more puritanical. Yeah, you know, we, we shut ourselves off from uh, looking for the goodness in art and in movies and in in all these different things because we just we just label it as bad. But again. Those are some of the, the mediums that, that allow us to get in tune with, well, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to desire love? What does it mean to ache? And of course, you want to take all those things and point them towards our Lord. But I think about like, I mean, some artists and people in my life who, yeah, aren't living a very Christian lifestyle, but they've taught me a lot about yeah. what it means
1: to be human. I, t- totally. I mean, it's, yeah, it's kind of crazy because I, I was thinking about a very similar thought. So I went to this... Um, at this conference with my wife that I went to uh, last week or the week before, but it was, um, it was run by a a Protestant church, Saddleback church out here in LA. And this, this church, which, I mean, it's part of a bigger, I guess, group of churches, but it was just this one pastor and his, you know, you know, church council or whatever that had decided that they wanted to organize every grassroots homelessness effort that they could find in LA to all meet and just get to know one another and just get to meet and see if there could be like a network effect by bringing all these people together. And everybody in the room, besides my wife and I were um, Protestant. Okay. Some, you know, some variety of evangelical or, or, or another denomination. And, you know, my thought was, cause I don't, I hang out a lot now in Catholic circles. I mean, I work in, you know, in media. So I, I like most of the time it's people that are unchurched or, or not believers, but when I work in, when I'm, and when I'm in religious circles, it's usually Catholic ones. And it has been a while since I've been like in a, in a, in a Protestant setting. And my thought was very similar to what you just said, which was like, you know, here's these people that love Jesus. Okay. And it's super clear that they love Jesus. And yet they don't have, you know, the beauty of the Eucharist and the sacraments and like all these different things, but they're so earnest and they're authentic and they're real. And they're like, let's solve homelessness and we'll bring all these people together. And they're in a way kind of recreating some of the different like infrastructure that we already have as the church, you know, diocese and deaneries and par- they're like literally very entrepreneurial about putting it all together. And I, and I was looking at I'm going, you know, there's a real beauty here and I'm being like shaped by it. I'm being formed by it. And, you know, here's God doing that. And yet these folks, you know, in a, in a real way, like, need to receive obviously the fullness of, uh, of the faith. And, but it's not just about me sharing that, right. It's about me being sort of formed by, it, but it was really earnest and honest and real. And just like you said about the artists, like it was, it was true and not everything that they believe or say is like the right way, but, but it was like, that wasn't the point, right? The point was like, okay, w- how are they oriented and, and and what is it that they're trying to do? And, How's the Holy Spirit working there, and how much of it is for me for my own benefit, you know
0: mm-hmm. yeah and it's it's the beauty of the encounter and being willing to encounter right we get so stuck in our own safe boxes
1: mm.
0: and, and again, you have to be rooted in what you believe and why and and that truth and that beauty and that goodness um but again. Going outside that and learning from others, being inspired by others, you know, that, that's a really good and a really beautiful thing.
1: You, you mentioned in our first conversation, and you've already talked about it a couple times here, this idea of toxicity being, um, you know, just something to consider, a characteristic of the, you know, kind of the life of, I guess, an athlete and people, you know, people go through it. Even the thing you mentioned about the guy not wanting to have his kids play because of, you know, toxicity that he experienced. What, what's that about? Like, wh- how does that manifest itself? Like, what, what, what do you, how do you define it?
0: Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think it's a result of just the, the pressure mm. that athletes face, you know, and I, I, you know, it's been 10 years since I played college sports and, you know, I, I faced a lot of pressure. I was playing at a top D one program. You have the pressure to succeed, the pressure from your coaches, your parents, your friends, the school, but today's day and age, I mean, the, some of these girls that I work with and mentor, they have the pressure of social media. They have the pressure of now they're mm. able to be sponsored. Um, and you just see it's like this, this pressure buildup and athletes have this need to release it. Uh, and that's the majority of the time not done in such healthy ways. You know, you hear of the the play hard, party hard culture. Mm. And the reality is, is college athletes are drinking at a higher rate than the normal student population. Um, so, you know, and everything that comes with drinking the the hookup culture and things like that. Um, it's just, it's very intense. Um, and, and it's, it's cultural, like it's happening everywhere. You know, it's almost like you can't, it's hard to break out of that because that is the norm. Mm. um, you're also just seeing, again, because of this performance, this need to perform, you're seeing a lot of, on, on both the female and the male side, a lot of um, body hate, a lot of mm. um, eating disorders and manipulated eating uh, because they need to keep a certain weight or they want to be, you know, fast or whatever. Um, on the woman's side, you're also seeing um, a lot of same-sex attraction. Yeah. Um, there's a whole gamut of reasons for that we could go into, but... Again, it's this this kind of perfect storm storm yeah. that, that happens, um, you know. And then I think the final thing is just the mental health, right? When you're under such pressure, um, you do see a lot of mental health issues, and, and some of that is the result of a lack of virtue. Mm. Just to be honest and blunt, um, not able to handle the pressure, not you know using your time correctly, making decisions that you know you regret. But there is also the, the diagnosable disorders that are, are more and more prevalent these days um, when athletes are experiencing this environment. Yeah,
1: it's kind of like a cauldron of things, right? Because the whole pressure to perform, that's probably been around since the dawn of sports or at least competitive sports. So that's kind of been, and I'm not suggesting that there wasn't toxicity back then, but there but it was just like one thing. And then you've got this like now sort of explosion of now I can, everybody can see what you're doing, right? On social and Even AYSO, my, you know, my kid's on like the extra team for, for AY, all-star team for AYSO. And it's like, all the parents are like filming everything and everything goes on Facebook and watch my kid, you know, hit this corner and all this other stuff. And so there's that added layer. And then you've got all the kind of like, you know, sort of socio-political stuff laid over the top of it, right? What Megan Rapinoe is doing and, you know, fair pay, pay and, And even the whole body thing, because on one side you've got, I got to make weight and I got to be fast. On the other side, it's like, don't body shame, right? So like, it's like, it's like a vortex of, of, of like pushing and pulling. It's got to be, you know, kind of confusing to be in the midst of that.
0: Yeah. And it's, you often find it's like you just said, it's not just one thing, you know, Um, it's all these different pressures and all these different factors that are leading, you know, to these athletes really spinning and, and not knowing where to get help. And then you have the added factor of athletes don't know how to be vulnerable or they're under a microscope. So they can't be. And so everything is internalized. And all the image uh, and
1: likeness stuff, too. Right. And now with college sports, you can get paid. And like you said, sponsored. I mean, that's brand new. Pretty much.
0: Yeah, it is. And So you have, you know, 18 year olds making. I mean, you have the extremes of millions of dollars, but even a couple thousand dollars. You know, and not knowing how to manage money, uh, having the distraction of having to, you know, post a certain number of times a week or find their own sponsorships, or I mean, I see it as a distraction to be honest, and I, and I haven't seen really the positive benefits of it um, mm. with the athletes I'm talking to.
1: And you're talking about the like the 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 NCAA paying for for sponsoring and all that, or, or the, just the image and likeness pressure in general?
0: Image and likeness yeah. pressure.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, it's, it's like you're living your life under a microscope. What, you know, my, just so you know, I don't, I don't know if you know my wife's story and she, she goes out and she teaches and, and, and preaches and she wrote a book, but one of the pa- parts that she walked through in her life was uh, same sex attraction, um, for a period of, you know, quite a while actually. And, you know, there's some reasons for her. And I know that this is a nuanced and maybe even difficult, you know, issue for folks to talk about, but I'm curious about it. Like in your experience, um, you know, the, the, I don't know if it's predominance or the fact that this comes up quite a bit in female athletic circles, maybe a lot of it is, stereoty- is stereotyping. Maybe a lot of it is just kind of made up or it's, it's a funny punchline or whatever, but what's the truth about it? Like, what's the real part about it?
0: Well, first of all, it is real. It's not just some punchline. um, And you see it more prevalent in specific sports. Um, But And I'm not super familiar with your wife's story. But what I've observed, um, you know, each each woman has an individual story and individual struggle. But I've been able to see some themes. So I don't want to desensitize or say, you know, this is just an overarching rule. Um, But you see, I mean, unfortunately, you see a lot of... um, same sex attraction or acting on that as a result of abuse Mm. in, in in women's backgrounds, you know, say one in four women have been sexually abused. I would argue it's, it's probably one in two. Yeah. Um, wow. But then,
1: but true. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: But true. Um, especially once you get through the college age, you know, there, there's, there's a lot going on there too. Um, but the other thing is okay. So as, as as women, we're very emotional, right? Men are more physical. Mm-hmm. So in a relationship, men are kind of physical first, and then the emotion follows. Women are emotional, and then the physical follows. Mm-hmm. And so when you're in an environment with other women, where you're in intense emotional environments, I mean, you're with each other all the time. You're suffering together. Um, you're experiencing very intense things together. You bond, and sometimes, especially in likes of puberty and the culture, right, your sexuality is ignited. Mm. Um, And there can be confusion there. And as you know, the, the, when the culture is saying, well, you know, you should experiment or that's what you're seeing other athletes do. Oftentimes women are doing that. Now I always make the distinction because yeah, you know, I entered my freshman year of college and a third of my team was struggling with same-sex attraction. And, and this is a blunt thing to say, but they almost tried to recruit me Um, you know, I remember one of my teammates saying to me, well, you know, growing up, did you ever like, like a woman, did you ever like look up to people and, and, you know, find a woman attractive. And I was thinking to myself, like, yeah, gosh, you know, all these women, you know, and she goes, well, that means you're gay. Uh. And I, I, I fought it internally, but it just created this little doubt in my heart, like, Mm. Am I? Mm. And it was years later. I mean, God really protected me, but yeah. it was years later, you know, there was this little whisper. And, and I've had a friend say, I mean, very secular. She just said, I think every female athlete has questioned her sexuality at some point. Um, but it was years later, I heard a speaker say, we're supposed to be attracted to the same sex. Mm. Like, how else am I going to know what it is to be a woman? Sure. But that attraction and admiration does not equal sexual attraction. In our culture, it does. But there is definitely a difference between an admiration attraction versus a, a sexual attraction, and we also have to remember
1: mm.
0: when our sexuality is ignited, especially if we haven't had a good upbringing or we have issues with relationships. It's there's still a choice there, um, you know. And usually, things they can be intense; those emotions are intense. But with some distance, will will or help will kind of work themselves out. Um, but I think the other problem is is when women experiment. Um, and have something happen and it was good or they enjoyed it, then all of a sudden, or even if they regretted it, then all of a sudden there's this label of, well, this is now I I'm am. gay. Yeah. this is who I am. yeah, And it's really hard to break that. It's also hard to even say any of these things, right? Because- I was
1: going to say, it's super dangerous, Sam, what you're talking about, right? Just even the idea, you mentioned the word choice and same sex in the same sentence. I mean, that's like danger, danger, you know, um, in terms of, people especially where I live. I mean, that would be like, you know, get somebody with pickets outside your house. That's just the, re- I mean, that's, that's the kind of world we're living in in certain places.
0: Yeah, it is. And again, it's said with such um, sincerity, but I almost wish that it had been said to me when I was Mm. doubting or, um, you know, I have women that I I walk with and I work with and it's a process, right? We're walking through what they're feeling and what they're experiencing and why, but at some point somebody needs to bring in some light and some truth.
1: I had, um, just last week, a show hasn't come out yet, but last week I, I recorded a show, um, with a guy named Saul De Alba and he um he leads this international ministry which works with men um to get them off of uh, pornography. And one of the things that he said was that his kind of like mission critical goal is ultimately to help people look at a beautiful woman and not lust. And when w- what you're talking about with have you ever looked at a woman and like been attracted, right? As a woman Been attracted to well, sure, because there's you know there might it's beauty or the virtues that I wish to embody or the way that she did a particular thing like all of those things are right and healthy and good and I can say the exact same thing for me by the way has there been a guy who at that age coming up I looked at him was like wow that guy's cool you know he's good looking he speaks well he's athletic, he, you know, uh, you know, behaves in a way that is um, charismatic. Yeah. But the line there is all the admiration of that, but then not having that be disordered into like a sexual desire and the, and the kind of gating item, the thing that would slow that in, in my personal experience, I'm, you know, obviously older than you are, but in my personal experience coming up was the fact that the culture wasn't as much saying, Oh yeah, come on in. This is great. In fact, like you should be this. Everybody should be this. That's, that wasn't the case for me, but it feels like for me that that kind of gating item where that kind of break is sort of off a little bit now, or maybe entirely now where it's, you know, as you have these thoughts of, of modeling and emulation and, 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 and attraction, there's nothing wrong with that. Being attracted to beautiful, you know, things. It's how God built us. But there's nothing to go like, hey, hey, hang on, pull the brakes and go, now we're kind of, and I'm talking culturally, there's nothing, obviously the faith is clear about this, but like culturally, there's not much to say, wait a minute, it doesn't necessarily have to go into this realm. And even if it does go into this realm, it doesn't mean it's forever. I think both of those things are kind of like, they fell off the track.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and when you look at, you mentioned before, like a Megan Rapino or, you know. I mean, her and Sue Bird, they're the face of women's athletics right now. They're a dating couple, you know? And so these young women, when they're looking at these these people that they admire, they're almost being given permission and encouraged, I think, in a lot of ways to act this way or to to try something. And and that's, yeah, that's tough and that's destructive. I mean, and uh, just another point about your guest last week, I mean... I think it's 40%, but it might be more now, your guests would know, of women struggle with a pornography Yeah, addiction. we talked
1: a lot about that. I was blown away by it because I honestly, I was totally ignorant about that.
0: Yeah, and so that leads to a lot of confusion too. One, because pornography is so violent these days yeah. that women are like, I don't want a part of that. And two, if there's um, homosexual pornography, women, just how we're designed, we can be stimulated by that. And so there's then a confusion of like, well, why am I, why am I attracted to this? Oh, I must be, you know, this way. And so that just adds a whole nother um, confusing factor.
1: Yeah. My buddy's producing a uh, pornography documentary. Actually, he's, he's already shot it. It's done. But one of the main protagonists, you know, how these docs like feature particular characters throughout the whole doc. Right. But one of the characters is a woman the protagonist, not characters, Mm -hmm. when the protagonist is a woman and like hearing, I I saw the screen or so hearing her story, I mean, it's wild because a, we don't see the face of that typically in those kind of conversations right around pornography. Um, but the drivers, the motivators, like the reasons that she explains herself, why it was so attractive. You're right. There was a, because of the way you're built, there was a, you know, kind of a, a sexual stimulation part of it. But it was this kind of um, the way that she described it was it kind of helped her in a way sort of, um, you know, close the gap in some of the relationships or lack of relationships that she had coming up. Um, that was also the case for my wife. You know, my, my wife had a deep, deep, deep um, father wound, very deep, mm-hmm. you know, um, divorce and there was sexual abuse. So she was one one of the, you know, one of two for sure. You know, so I totally believe that. But it was this sense of, um, you know, kind of trying to solve for that chasm in this way, uh, in that particular way. And that was one of the big sort of drivers. But yeah, I mean, I, I like, I had not put together the idea of, you know, women struggling with, with that, um, with that situation. I, I, like, I viewed it almost exclusively as a male thing and it isn't.
0: Yeah. And, and I think, you know, as with, you know, this guest and you learning, I think there's more and more light being shed on that. Um, you know, it's something that, that I address with women and bring up with women just to, just because, because it's labeled as a male problem, right. Women are very shameful to come forth, um, with that as a struggle. And so, you know, the more we can talk about it and encourage women to seek accountability and to seek help, um, you know, the further they're, they're going to go with their journey towards healing and integration. Absolutely. Sam, what are
1: the, what are the main things that when you do the work that you do with Fierce, which by the way, we, we should talk about the name, but um, w- when you do that work, like what are the things that you consistently find people go like the moments of like an insight or maybe the, the, the themes that you run into most often?
0: Mm-hmm. Sure. So, I mean, we always start with the, the issue of identity. You know, before we can start talking about any of the things that we just talked about, um, we talk with women about the fact that you know they are more than all these different things, right? They're a daughter of God, and, and what I say to them is, you know, you could sit in that chair for the rest of your life, or you could go on and become the next Olympic gold medalist, and God would still love you the same.
1: Mm.
0: And so, just having them, helping them learn that that they're just loved and they're accepted how they are and for who they are, I think it's just key. I mean, that you hear it. Oh, I'm a daughter of God. I'm a daughter of God. But but helping them internalize that, um, treating them in a way that that communicates that, but helping them internalize that first and foremost is, is just the foundation.
1: Man, that should be just step one for every apostolate, right? I mean, that is literally the definition of the kerygma, right? It's like you were made wonderfully by a God who loves you and you've got a super special mission. Like, that only you can do, like you are, mm-hmm. and, and, and no matter what, you know, you do, you're still loved as much like that is like ground zero of, you know, the, the gospel experience, at least it should be.
0: Yeah. And one of the things I love saying to women most is, and I hadn't realized this, but okay, so we're made in God's image and likeness, right? And we're all unique. Like nobody has ever or will ever exist again. That looks like me, has my gifts, dreams, desires, quirks, well, if, if we're made in God's image like this and we're unique, then we each reflect something unique about God.
1: Mm. Yeah, and, that's cool.
0: And that just, it, it helps women realize, right? Because we're, we're in a society, right? With social media and everything, we're, we're, we're always trying to be someone that we're not, or we're trying to um, hide behind certain facades or fit in. And again, helping them realize their daughterhood or their sonship, um, helps them to just accept themselves, right? And then they don't act out in these these other ways as much because they realize where their worth is. Mm. What uh, do
1: people when they, I'm assuming you you work with people from all walks of life, right? Or is, or do do they typically come in with some level of uh, spiritual formation? It's kind of everybody, right?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, everything we preach is is based off the truth of the Catholic church. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd say the majority of our Following or women that we work with are Catholic or Christian. So have a, you know, some level of foundation. Um, but yeah, we really reach women's women of all walks of faith um, or just life. Because if you're speaking to a team, you know, even at a Catholic or Christian school, not all the the, the girls are going to be um, practicing or even of any faith. Sure. Um, so, but even like a truth like that, you know, helping Hopefully them realize that there is a higher power, but, but that they were designed uniquely,
1: Mm.
0: you know, and that they are unique. Like, I don't ever have to say God or Jesus, but that just the fact that you are unique and like nobody else, um, and you should love that about yourself because there's only one you, um, I think is, is a message that, that sinks deep with them. Obviously, you know, I love to tie in the why, um, but I think that that's a message that everybody needs to hear.
1: Do they, do they I mean, do they respond, do do they, does anybody grapple with that idea and have difficulty with it or is it pretty much, yeah, at, at some point like, okay, great, that's an insight and I take it on board?
0: I mean, I think the majority kind of accept it. There's definitely some that grapple, um, you know, and, and aren't we all still grappling with it? <laughs> it's like none of us would sin or struggle or be miserable if, uh, if we really fully grasp the depth of that truth and mm. that's a bold statement. But if we really fully grasped our, our daughterhood and God, the father's fatherhood, um, would we still struggle the way we do? I, I don't know. You yeah. know, I think a lot less. Um,
1: I think it's true. And by the way, you just described like how I was this morning when I woke up. Right. So like just, just like not, not, uh, not feeling it, not, not having it. But, um, you know, it's like we we're we're human and we fall and, and we pick ourselves up and all of that stuff. And that's part of the journey of being here, right. Being in the, in the world, but not of it. But I think it's just, in some cases, there's a part of me when I hear that, when I hear that sort of charismatic message that loves it and, and, and takes it on board and just says like, wow, it's amazing. And I, I always believe that. But then there's this sense of like, you know, when the, you know, kind of enemy starts whispering in your head about like the kind of um, the sense of impossibility of that, the grandeur of that concept, right? It's like, well... I could see that for this person, but I don't necessarily see it for me, right? This kind of like self-doubt and, and kind of accusation, which I got to imagine is magnified in sports settings because, again, you're under the microscope and it's like everything you do is seen and it's, it's a lot easier to go like, oh, this is why, you know, I, I can totally see it in Serena or Samantha or whatever, but not necessarily in me.
0: Yeah, and, and that's the result of... Uh, Yeah. A lack of self-love, but also a lot of comparison that goes on and a lot of that pressure. I mean, another thing that we really focus on is what I call mental toughness, Mm. but it's really spiritual warfare. Um, you know, I love the, using the example of softball, softball, um, or baseball, you know, if you're a good hitter, you're striking out seven out of 10 times. Mm. And, and when you strike out what's happening in your mind In a woman's mind, we go dark very quick. So those doubts you just talked about uh, happen within a second. It's like, I can't believe I just struck. I don't know. It's just how we're wired, right? You know, I can't believe I struck out. That was embarrassing. I should quit. I suck. I don't even deserve to live. I mean, and that's the PG version. It's very dark, very quick. Wow. And so I talk to a lot of women about you know, taking captive your mind, having a statement, renouncing those lies that you believe about yourself and replacing them with the truth of who you are. Mm. Um, You know, so we really get into some of that really spiritual warfare for the mind within the realm of sport. But then you teach these women to apply it to the rest of their lives. So when they're doubting their daughterhood, when they're doubting their goodness, well, you know, maybe for that person, but not for me you know, learning like that is not of God. And to renounce that in the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I'm not good. And I receive the beauty of who I am. Mm-hmm. Just teaching them that practical tool. Oh, it's been a game changer in my life, but I, but I think it's something that really helps.
1: And it's one of those things that's like, it it is in a way like athletics in the sense that you have to rinse and repeat. Like that is something you got to practice and do over and over and over again. Right. It's like, how many times have you taken a corner kick, right? Or practice a header or how many times did somebody, you know, do their backhand or throw a football? It's like, it's not that you don't know how to do it. It's that you just got to continue to do it in order to perfect it and to really integrate it. And so I could see somebody saying that, but it's not about just saying it once. It's about, you know, the battle, the spiritual battle for sure is like an everyday siege. It's always on. Right. And it's like, we kind of forget about that. We're like, oh, I made this gain. I made this progress. I made this breakthrough. So it's kind of behind me. It's like, no, it's not because you're only living in the moment. And it's like we're always in that, in that state. So we have to build ourselves up by, by this kind of constant um, awareness of, mm-hmm. of what's going on.
0: Yeah. And, and the good news is that athletes almost intuit that or they're used to that, right? They're used to practicing and sacrificing and suffering for a greater good, victory. And so when it comes to some of the things that we teach them, whether it's mental toughness or prayer or whatever, they, they kind of get it. They get that, okay, this is something that I have to work at on a daily basis. And if I stop doing, I'm going to lose, right? In order to grow.
1: Is the mental toughness also kind of an antidote for a lot of the wellness uh, issues that seem so pervasive now?
0: Wellness in, me- in terms
1: of... Like mental health? anxiety, Mm -hmm. depression, things like that. Is that part of the kind of prescription for that area of what's happening maybe with younger people?
0: I've seen it, you know. I've seen, you know, a a girl that I work with, top D1 athlete, and she just hit a rut, you know, and she's getting more and more anxious. And I was like, hey, let's just pray through some of these things. Why not before practice, you go through these renouncings and these statements and it was, it all kind of resulted from something her coach had said to her. Um, and so we just kind of renounced that and, and the pressure that that put on her. And then, you know, she just started, she's like, I, I'm playing with freedom again. I just, I love the sport again. And so uh, there's a lot, again, there's a lot of factors and a lot of tools and, and ways that we can address wellness or mental health today. But, but I think that um, this is one quite effective one.
1: Yeah. I think about the guys striking out and you said that the women go dark pretty quick and I'm sure that, and and like I imagine myself striking out and like the the very first thing that comes to me is maybe less dark in the sense of I let everybody down and the world is ending, but it's more like I'm, I'm upset. You know what I mean? I'm angry. Like I'm pissed. I can't wait to get back up and try it again. And, but it's an anger, which also itself can become kind of a maladaptive thing to sports performance. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And the other thing is we we talk a lot about the beauty and the importance of the body, right? Theology of the body, the goodness of the body. Um, But how that relates to performance, like when you mess up, you put your head down, right? Mm, And and the physiological response is actually your testosterone goes down, which is your performance hormone and your cortisol goes up. That's literally what happens in your body when you put your head down. So when your coach, I always tell my, my oh, wow. the kids I work with, when your coach says, pick your head up, it's actually <laughs> helping you get back in the game because then your testosterone goes up, your, your performance hormone, and women have testosterone too, yep. and that stress cortisol goes down. I mean, it's so cool, like, the body's effect on, on our minds and on our performance. It's
1: crazy, too, that cortisol is, like, addictive in a way, too, right? I, I read a lot of, of studies on it in the in the corporate life of, like, CEOs and executives. And in a way, you get kind of hooked on the sort of up and down, too, which is a weird thing, right? So you're mm-hmm. always kind of looking for these high, high, high stress or, like, edge of your seat kind of moments but it's because you're sort of hooked on the neurotransmitter response that's going on inside your body. But I'd never heard what you just said. And that's wild. And it makes total sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. I, you know, I have a a certification in strength and conditioning and um, I'm very against high cortisol workouts all the time. Um, Like these hit orange theory, because again, that is attributing to high stress. I'm pumping my body up and it, and in the long run, it's, it's not good for you and it's not sustainable At, you know, as a, as an athlete, that's the sphere you're going to run in for years. But once you retire, it's so important to have a, a little bit more of a balanced workout output, um, where it's not all high stress workouts. There's some longevity, there's some aerobic work just to kind of retrain your body, away from. I mean that's also why athletes are the best, some of the best CEOs, right? But but retrain your body away from this just stressed state all the time because that's what it's been used to.
1: Well, that that's a it's a learning for me back to the two-way street um that you know we 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 come into these environments you know often thinking we're going to impart something to someone but it's you know God that does the opposite for your benefit and what you just said right there. I mean you you just described me like from a from a fitness standpoint I'm pretty much always high intensity, but in, in a way it's kind of like an extension of who I am. You know, I tend to be a very like intense person and I move quick and I'm multitasking and I've got, you know, I'm on an airplane and I'm I'm having meetings like on the way to the airport and it's just like constant intensity. So I've sort of matched that with my workout, right? A lot of functional fitness, a lot of hit, a lot of all that stuff. But you just reminded me that the times that I've gone for like a a long run, and for me, I'm not built for running. So like for me, a long run is like, <laughs> you know, a couple of miles, um, two, three miles, maybe. But when I do that, there's this kind of like, when I get done, the way that I would describe it is like, I have like a thousand mile stare. It's like this sort of like, um, it's like this, you know, balance in the kind of chemistry set of my brain, I'm sure, where just things seem a little bit more peaceful, a little bit more placid, a little bit more docile. And it's, and that really only happens in the typical exercises that I don't do. Like after, um, you know, functional fitness or, or or a hit thing, I just feel like I'm like ready, let's go. Like just let's, let's, you know, (laughs) but, but that's not always good. Right. So I just learned something. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate it.
0: (laughs) There you go. You're welcome. And again, it's all about balance. If that's what you love, do some hit workouts, but you know, mix it in with a long bike or a long walk or a long run. Um, because that that does. Yeah. I'm the same way. I'm really high, high functioning, you know, always doing something. And, um, you know, even this morning I went on like a three mile walk with my dog nice. just because yesterday I had a really intense workout and my body needed to flush out and it was just so peaceful. It was so nice. And, and I have to remember too, you, you know, that I need that.
1: I need to do the, I just need to do the work. I'm just not as disciplined as you are. That's the thing is like, I, I, my big cross that I bear is a lack of discipline just in general. Um, And I've struggled with it my entire life. And, you know, there's certain things that I do and I do them, I think, well, but it's like, it's the constancy, right? Like I know the benefit of a long walk with the dog. I like, I told, I, I know the benefit of just a walk around the block with my wife. Like every time we do it, I'm like, oh, this is so awesome. We had a great conversation and we walked and we saw the neighbors. And, but yet like, let's do that again in two days. That's the part where I fall apart. You know what I mean? There's some things I do every day, but they're normally wrapped around, you know, work or ministry or, you know, you know, functional fitness or like CrossFit, things like that, that, those things I'm sort of good at, but just in general, discipline is a challenge. So I would not be a very good athlete, um, I think, because of that.
0: Well, or you just have somebody pushing you and reminding you, you yeah, know, true. a lot of these athletes, they have coaches. That's why, because I'm, I'm actually kind of similar. That's why I'm on a rowing team or I have people to work out with, or I have a race goal, like,
1: and that's because just, I know that, myself, that's grace building on nature too, because I'm super competitive. Like I'm a very competitive person. And so the idea of being in a room with other people doing the same thing and somebody says, okay, let's get 10 of these out or a hundred of these out. To me, what drives me is the fact that I want to do what the other people are doing in, in, as, Mm -hmm. you know, at least as much as I want to do it because it's good for me or because whatever, it's like, so, Mm -hmm. you know, God knows that and can use that to actually drive a a good end. So I totally get that benefit. Mm -hmm. Hey, Sam, I wanted to ask you one thing, because as we're getting to the top of our time that we haven't talked about, but I think it's important, especially with somebody like you who has extraordinary experience in this, in this world, and that is the whole idea, the concept of where female athletics fits in the life of a girl, right? Because you've got this, like, you've got a lot of people who have very strong opinions on a lot of this stuff in, in either place, right? And maybe they're a bit mm-hmm. of a caricature, but you've got, you know, the, mo- the mom or dad who says, my daughter's going to do everything that my son does or that the boys do and they play everything and contact sports and put a helmet on and women should be on, you know, every team should have women on it and... There's that. And then there's the other side, which is like, you know, women shouldn't play sports. Like, I mean, the, again, those are caricatures, but women shouldn't play sports because women have different gifts and this isn't one of them. Like, what, what is the proper understanding of female athletics from your perspective?
0: Yeah, this is like why I formed Fierce because <laughs> of this question. Really? It's like, how can I be a feminine BA athlete, but also... Sp- yeah, remain feminine. And what does that even mean? Yeah, You know, because I'm six feet tall and muscular and love sports. And, you know, when I really discovered my faith, I didn't meet anybody like that, Mm. you know? And so I felt like there was something wrong with me or I wasn't feminine. Um, but those are lies. So again, I come back to the truth of our bodies and what they communicate. God created two genders. I know scandalous to say, um, But he created us, first of all, why did he create two genders? Because we're made in his image and likeness, right? And he is one God, three persons, and he's an exchange of love, right? And so the father loves the son, the son loves the father, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the father and the son. Amen. The family mimics that. The man loves the woman, the woman, God respects our freedom, but the woman has the capacity to love the man. Nine months later, it can result in a third, the child. So, so the reason that God has two genders and we're made in his image and likeness is to reflect his communion of persons. Now, if you look at men and women, biologically, we are different. And as a human being, we are body and soul. And while our culture says that you can separate those, you really can't. So because of the fact that I was created a woman, I am feminine in my body, in my soul, in my mind, like in my whole being, I am feminine because my body expresses that, um, so that was like the first thing I had to learn. Like, no, I'm not unfeminine. I'm feminine in the fact that I was created a woman. Now, you see a lot of women that reject that, right? They they kind of reject that part of themselves and they try to be more masculine or beat men. I mean, this is a whole feminist movement. Yeah. But I think first and foremost, we have to realize like, I was created a woman that, that makes me feminine. Now, my particular expression of that is different from a lot of other women. Um, But my female body, so the the male body, you know, men are more exterior in the sexual act. The the height of masculinity, if we read the male body, is sacrifice. This is why, you know, boys love army movies or superheroes. Like there's something in them that desires to sacrifice for a greater good. Not that women don't sacrifice, but we're talking about the height of masculinity. The opposite of that is the spirit of dominance. Um, which is kind of the twisting of their sacrifice. Now, as women, I am receptive in the sexual act. And then I have this ability to bear forth life. So the height of my receptivity is actually, the height of my femininity is actually my receptivity and my ability to bear forth life. Now that's very physical. Like I receive the man, and can have a child, but that's also in a very emotional way. Yeah. Like you see women receiving each other um, and then giving life. Mm. And, and that happens actually when I play my sport. This is why men's basketball and women's basketball are different. Men's a little bit more individualistic. They're they're driving a the hoop, they're sacrificing themselves, they're dunking the ball. Women, it's a little bit more team-oriented. They say it's a prettier game. And that's the natural um tendency of, of the feminine heart to receive other. And so you, you see it, right? And um so so I so I think being a feminine athlete is embracing who I am fully as a woman. And, and looking to make a gift of myself on on the field or, or wherever, but even going beyond that, receiving my teammates in an emotional way and in a spiritual way, helping them, being an advocate for them, breathing life into their lives. Mm. Um, and I think that balance is there. Like I look at our lady, she's the most, this is a little scandalous to say, but she's the most BA woman that ever lived. Yep. Like she crushes the head of Satan. Absolutely. And yet, she, and yet she's the most tender woman that ever lived. And that's what it means to be a feminine athlete. I can be intense and I can be in c- competitive but at the end of the day, I also have this tender, other focused part of maternal part of my heart um, that that I, I need to embrace.
1: That is beautiful. And if, you know, if Fierce does nothing else but to try to communicate what you just said to a lot of women specifically, but everybody, I think that would be a home run of the greatest proportion possible. And that's awesome. And I do think that you know, the dominant culture is certainly a ways from that kind of understanding. But that that really does contextualize properly, like the way that we should view all these things. So if I'm a dad and I have a daughter and the question is like, well, am I going to put her in athletics? You're like, absolutely. But in this, my goal should be, let me teach and form her in this way to fully understand the height of her femininity so she can bring that to, that gift and that reality to whatever she ends up doing. I mean, I think mm-hmm. if we understand that, a lot of the questions about, should we do this? Should we do that? Should we do whatever? They become less important.
0: Right. And, and you know, I think it's not till battle, but I think that's how we're going to change the culture of women's athletics. That's my prayer and that's my hope. And that's what I'm doing what I'm doing um, for these women, but so that they can then, one, heal themselves, but, but help others realize who they are.
1: Well, I think Fierce is a great th- a great name for it. Um, and I was going to ask you about that because it's got, you know, all the kind of tonality and the sort of attitude that a lot of the sort of boss lady and BA and all this other stuff that that's out there. But at the same time, there's a greater truth kind of nestled within it. So nice job. I'm picking the name.
0: <laughs> Thanks.
1: <laughs> so, um, Sam, before we get to Wait What, our final segment, I wanted to have an opportunity for you to share, um, you know, how folks can... Just get in touch and find out about Fierce Athlete and your podcast and all your speaking and all that stuff. Like what's the best way for folks to keep tabs on, on what you're doing?
0: Yeah. So everything is on our website, fierceathlete.org. Um, we're also on all the social media platforms handle at Fierce Athlete. And then our podcast is on all the major platforms. And that's the Fierce Athlete podcast.
1: Beautiful. We'll, we'll put that stuff in the show notes as well so people can find it. And, uh, you know, what a great privilege to, to, to have you on the show. And I've been really formed by this conversation. So I want to thank you for that. And, you know, my great hope is that obviously your work continues, this ministry, this, this, this apostolate continues to flourish and brings that, you know, much needed perspective and frankly, the fuller perspective to, to, uh, to the people that you interact with and to the culture more broadly.
0: Hmm. Well, this, this conversation has been a, a blessing for me as well. So thank you for having me.
1: Awesome. Are you ready to play Wait What? I am. All right. So normally we have three questions, Sam, but today, because I had a grumpy morning, I only have two, but they're really good ones. So okay. so then <laughs> designed specifically for you. So here goes. Question number one. Sam, earlier this year, a world-class iconic footballer opened up about his long-held Catholic faith during a promotional tour for his new Amazon documentary. He revealed, in fact, that for the last 12 years, the football authorities and football, I'm saying properly soccer. So that for the last 12 years, the football authorities of his country had actually forbidden him from speaking about his faith publicly. Following his comments, this player's childhood parish priest further revealed that this star had seriously discerned the priesthood and religious life. Sam, who is this famous footballer? I'm gonna say Cristiano Ronaldo. Ooh, close! Right continent, okay. wrong country. Want me to give you a hint? Okay.
0: Yeah, he did come out about his Catholic faith earlier in the year, though. So that's oh. why I was thinking that.
1: Okay, yeah. Then then I missed that one. Good for Cristiano. Um, with a name like Cristiano, you know, you're you're off to a good start. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, no, but this isn't this isn't him. Um, I'll give you a couple hints. So um, he's born in Ireland, moved to England though at a young age. He's a striker. He was the national team captain for his country. And he also was his, you know, his league team. I would say the league, but you'd probably get, well, I'll, I'll tell you the league. He, he was a Premier League captain uh, as well. So born in Ireland, moved to England, striker, national team campi- uh, captain, Premier League captain. Any guesses? Is he still playing? No. Wayne Rooney? Yes. You got it. Look
0: at that. Absolutely. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, I love him. He's a brute.
1: Yeah, he's. Um, I guess he's the. Is he the GM of uh, the DC uh, MLS team? I think he's. He, he, I think he might be. Yeah, he's. Yeah, if if not, then it's. He was most recently somewhere in that vicinity. But um. But yeah, yeah, he's great. I still remember. Um, I think it was a World Cup. Um, I think it was an Adidas. Was he Adidas or Nike? Whatever brand he was. But there was this just funny as all get out spot that they um created where. He's like, you know, he has this, he's like, has this moment where he misses a tackle and like the country turns against him. He they, they, <laughs> they show him like he was all on his ascendancy. Then he blows it in the World Cup and then he ends up in a trailer basically eating like beans out of like a, you know, like a stovetop thing. And then, then, you know, the the commercial goes back and shows he actually makes the tackle and everything flips around. It's just, it's super funny. I think it was for 2010 or 14 World Cup, but... um,
0: Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah,
1: anyway, Wayne Rooney. Yeah, so good job. All right, nice rebound. Um, All right, question number two. Sam, most folks know the third century patron saint of athletes, St. Stephen. His strength and stamina, courage and perseverance are some of the qualities that make him a fitting patron for athletics, But what most folks don't know, however, is that there are a number of other saints who are patrons of specific sports. One of those specifically is Saint Lidwina, a 14th century Dutch woman who is the patron saint of blank. Oh, I have never heard this one. Well, think it's very personally made for you. So that gives you a hint. It's patron saint of blank. And it's a specific... Sport? Soccer? Nope. I'll give you one more guess. It's tied to you. For me. Yes. Rowing? No. Ice skating. I know you played ice hockey, right? Did I get I that did. wrong? Yeah.
0: yeah. No,
1: you got that right. Yeah. So she is the patron wow. saint of ice skating. Apparently, she was, uh, as a teenager, she had, she fell and broke a rib while she was skating with girlfriends in Holland. And Her injury kind of set in and she basically never fully recovered, but became disabled. And in that disability had, you know, developed a devotion to the Eucharist, had visions. She was shown heaven and purgatory. There were all these miracles that were reported at her bedside. And she continued to fast and report visions until she died at 53. But yeah, she suffered this injury while ice skating. And so now she is the patroness of ice skating.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I got to get to know her.
1: St. Lidwina from Holland Yeah, there you go So that's what I've got for you today, Sam Unfortunately, there is no question number three Usually there's a time machine question But I will ask you this I think I have a name picked out for this episode already But if you had to name the episode What would you name it? And you can default to what I was going to call it If you you don't have any guesses or any thoughts
0: I mean, my thought was you are more than. Yes. That's That's literally what I wrote down.
1: Literally what I wrote down. That's where
0: we started. That's amazing. So,
1: I love it. Yes. Let's do it. You are more than. Awesome. Sam, thanks again for being on the show. What a great privilege. Uh, And if you are listening to our voices, that means it's time to subscribe. Please share this episode. Share this show with someone, maybe somebody who's actually living in this kind of athletic universe and is looking for a way to more fully understand the gifts that God has given them. Do that, and we'll see you all again next time on Living the Call.